My name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, someday, Jeremy, we should roll out dad jokes again because we had a riot on Father's Day. But uh, super glad to be here this morning. And I want to invite you to open up your Bibles. We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, verses uh, 36 through 56 this morning. And as you're turning there, if you're new around here, this won't be any surprise to those of us who've been here, but we've been in the series of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, for this entire year, and we're actually coming to the end of it. And this is one of those days, I, I've thought about it a lot, and I, I have so loved this series personally, and grown in this series personally, and thought about how much we have not preached over this last year in the Gospel of Matthew, that we could have went three to five years on this thing, but the growth for me personally is I've been in every single sermon, whether I preached it or not, and I know that's true for Jeremy as well, as we've talked through every sermon and dove into this, it has stirred me to the level that I've rethought again about the very mission of God that He gave to the world and how Matthew laid that out and have doubled down on this thing just saying, I want my life, really want to give my life, the remainder of my life to the mission of Jesus Christ in this world, to be on mission, to help this rescue mission advance in this world. And when we mapped this series out, we knew that we were going to hit Advent. This series right now, Advent, when we're talking about in almost every other year, we're going to be talking about Christmas trees and lights and mangers. And we would be talking about the wise men that came from the east or the angels that appeared and shepherds that were in the field. And we knew that if we were to preach through the Gospel of Matthew in a year, we would actually end up talking about the arrest and the denial and the crucifixion, the crown of thorns that would be given, the beatings that Jesus would receive while everybody else is talking about lights and Christmas and all these amazing, beautiful things. And at first we sort of scratched our heads and then we went, no, there's not a single year when we preach Advent, when we talk about the coming of Christ, where we also don't talk about the cross. Because if it was only Jesus breaking into this world, we would have had a great story about the coming of God into this world. And that's it. But what we have is more than that. That Jesus broke into this world, went on a redemptive mission, and enlisted us to be a part of the seek and save mission in this world. A mission that is unstoppable and unshakable. And you and I are part of this. And when I've thought about that, and in particular recently, I thought, when, when we talk about unshakable, and we talk about unstoppable, we talk about a mission that is restorative and redemptive of people and humankind of this world, and that God entrusts us to it, it suddenly begins to feel maybe that it might not be unshakable. It might not be unstoppable because we're entrusted with it. And I've, I've been a part of leading what I consider the greatest organization on planet Earth, the Church of Jesus Christ, the agent of change and love and hope in this world. I've been a part of leading in the Church of Jesus Christ for over three decades of my life. And I've seen a lot. And of those three decades, 
over one decade has been spent right here with you. And I know you. It's too late. I know you. And I love you, but I know you. And I know the good. And I know a lot of the other story as well. And it's too late for me too. I've been here over a decade. You know me. And you know the good. You know those places where you and I and collectively together, we have given ourselves to the mission of God. And we've been faithful. And we also know stories, some of us better than others, of others around this room. And you know what I love about us? One of the things that I love the most about us is we celebrate all the good and we don't turn away from the bad or the ugly. That we know these things about each other and we, we use words like this around here that we all have a story and it's actually the same story, it's just different detail. That your story is my story and my story is your story and the person next to you and we all have the same story is just different detail. But grace happens to be operative around here, not as an excuse. No way. Not as an excuse so that we can just go, oh, it doesn't matter, we're all, we're all gonna make mistakes in this world, so let's just get really good at it. We don't do that because we know that ushers in misery in our lives. And yet, we also have this operative grace around here that enables us to not have to hide, to not have to pretend, to not have to live in a world of shame, hoping you don't find out about it, that we can be real with each other. And in being real with each other, we actually have a chance together to be fully known, to be fully loved, and to actually become more and more and more and more like Jesus. When I think about the church, and I'm not just talking about us now, and many of us, we're students of the greater church. When I think about the church, I can see, and I have seen, the good and the bad, and I've seen the ugly. And I've seen the church when we have, we have rolled out just beautiful stuff for the world. And I've also watched over these three plus decades, moments or times or periods where we have blown it and we have grabbed hold of the kingdom of this world like this world is the most important thing to us and making sure that we control what happens in this world is the most important thing to us instead of grabbing hold of the unshakable, unstoppable kingdom of heaven. And we know what makes it unshakable and unstoppable is that somehow God uses people like us who get it right and get it wrong, who are, are succeeding and failing, who do beautiful and then miserable, that He chooses us to work by His Spirit through us for an amazing, an amazing work in this world. When I think about all of this stuff, and today I want to talk about it, when I think about the, the success and the failure, the miserable and the beautiful, the amazing and the painful, when I think about the good and the bad and the ugly, and then that word that marks us all at some point that was never meant to define us, this word shame, I think it's worth talking about here today. And I want to go to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26. 
and read the story and mine it for something that can, that can liberate us and cause us to live as God's people in this world. The Gospel of Matthew, verse 26. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Here and there. Sit here while I go over there and pray. So where is here and where is there? The here and there in this, and I have a picture of this, is this area right here. We are on the Mount of Olives looking toward the city of Jerusalem. And the here is up on the Mount of Olives. You can see the Dome of the Rock in the background, the Kidron Valley that runs between it. And what also is here, if we can have the next slide, please. It's the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is on the Mount of Olives. And the Kidron Valley runs down up toward Jerusalem. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. And he says, sit here while I walk over here. And I'm going to pray. Continue with the scripture here. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and from the elders. With him was a large crowd, not just a crowd, a large crowd of armed soldiers and they were coming up the mountainsides. So where did these armed soldiers come from? It matters. And the place is called the Antonio Fortress. This place right here. What we're looking at is the temple. So if you go back to the Mount of Olives, down through the Kidron Valley, the Dome of the Rock, the gold dome blue building, is sitting where that temple was. 
Off to the side is Fort Antonio. It is the place where the temple guards would have been. The temple guards, they were sort of the, the thugs, you will, if you will, of keeping the peace in Jerusalem, especially during times of high festivity. And this would have been one of those times, the time of Passover. And those temple guards would have been assigned to keep what Rome would call the peace, but to keep people from rising up, to keep people from stirring up any trouble in that region. And the chief priests and the elders had the ability to send them to do their work. It was several years ago. I was in the country of Uganda, or not Uganda, I was in Haiti. And it was during the overthrow of a man named Papadoc. Papadoc was the, the dictator of the country of Uganda, or of Haiti for about 30 years. You may remember the overthrow. The, the military rose up and took the country. I happened to have been there when it happened. And I would not suggest you're in a country when that happens. But I learned something about the country during that time. Papa Doc had this group of people that he called the Tantan. He didn't call them this. The people called them the Tantan Makuts. A Tantan is an uncle. And a Makut is a gunny sack. And there's this legend in the country of Haiti and terrible parenting skills, I would say, for sure, if you ever use this story. But what they would say to children that were unruly, children that were misbehaving, is that a tantan, your uncle, Makut, will bring a bag, a gunny sack, and will take you away if you keep it up. And then the punishment that was happening, I won't even mention it, but the punishment was horrific. And so horrific were the Tantan Makuts, or the, the goon squad that was Papadox, that the, the people of Haiti named them after this legend, that they come in the night, and they come and they have their way. They come and, and roll out a reign of terror on us. Now, I'm not saying that these temple guards are Tantan Makuts, but I am saying that they were... They were given command by the chief priests. They were given command by the elders to go in the middle of the night, in the shadows of the night, and go get Jesus from Fort Antonio down through the Kidron Valley. Make your way up to the Mount of Olives. We have a spy, if you will. We have one of his own that say he's up there. And Judas was that one. And they made their way up the mountainside in order to go and arrest Jesus. Now, what's the chance, really, a large crowd? What's the chance, an armed battalion? And most scholars will tell you that this group, this group that stood in Fort Antonio as the temple guards, were the most heavily armed group that would have been there. They would have had swords and clubs They would have made their way. What's the chance a large gathering with Judas, sent by the chief priests and sent by the elders, are going to make it through the Kidron Valley, up the mountainside, and catch you off guard? Pretty good if you're sleeping. Pretty good chances if you're sleeping. 
which Peter and a few of the disciples were. But Jesus wasn't. Scripture reads on saying, Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus said, Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions, this is Peter, reached for a sword. He woke up, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. What is going on here? What is this story here? I mean, is it a, is it a story of the good, the bad, and the ugly? Is it a story of great success and massive failure? Is it a story about Peter? I mean, in part, he's in the story, right? And it's certainly a story about Jesus and Jesus' willingness to go all the way to the cross for us. But in the story of Peter, is this a story of Peter's massive failure that ended up in Jesus' arrest? Because if only he had stayed awake, if he'd just done what Jesus had said, then they could have escaped, right? And Jesus wouldn't. And so is this a story of Peter waking up and going, I blew it. I blew it. Jesus asked me to be awake and I blew it. And now he's trying to make up for it and the shame is overcoming him. And he grabs a sword and cuts somebody's ear off. It's one of them of the large crowd, but at least he did something. Is that what this is about or is there something deeper going on here? If we were back up in the story just a week ago, I mean, the setup of the story, it tells us something because Jesus had gathered with his disciples and with those disciples, they had had this Passover meal and they had this meal together in which Jesus talked about Judas would eventually betray him, the one who dips his hand in this cup with me. He will be my betrayer. And then we fast forward to the story just a little bit and Jesus is looking at the other disciples and he actually speaks a word to them saying, each one of you is going to walk away from me. Each one of you is going to fail. Each one of you who I've seen do amazing, but also blown it. I've seen, uh, I've been with you three years, like too late. I know you. Too late. I love you, but I know you. I've seen you and you do amazing and then you blow it. You do beautiful, but then miserable. And you do great, but then you fail. I've seen you, I know you, and I know this. Each one of you is going to fail me. Each one of you is going to walk away. Each one of you is going to deny. And Peter goes, <laughs> maybe them. But here's what Peter said right here. Not me. Peter, if you can pull up the next slide, please, said... Even if all fall away, I don't care who, I'll be the one stand alone. If all fall away on account of you, I never will. Jesus says, you too, Peter. You too. And he doubles down and he says, even if I have to die with you, 
I will never disown you. I will not do that. Whatever, Peter. Whatever. You can't even stay awake. How many times were you asked just to stay awake? And you can't even do that. And you say, not me, not I, no way will I possibly do that. What, I mean, what's Peter feeling? Well, maybe we don't know because we don't have enough detail. But maybe he is feeling some responsibility here. Like I blew it and now Jesus... He's getting arrested. And if only, if only, if only I had stayed awake, we could have escaped. The backside of the Mount of Olives, it looks like this here. There's an amazing opportunity to slip out the back, wouldn't there be? Because, I mean, we're talking about had Peter stayed awake... And they could have slipped out the back. Hey, Jesus, hey, they're coming up the hillside. You asked me to stay awake, and here they come. And they could have slipped in the darkness. How are they going to find them? It's a mountainside. I mean, talk about a great place for hide and seek. You can't find me. Slipping off the back of the mountain can make it all the way down to Bethany, Bethphage. Make my way back there. There's no way you are going to find me. And yet there's one that wasn't sleeping. Though Peter was, Jesus wasn't. And Jesus said these words to Peter. He said, hey, put your sword back in its place. That's not what this is about. But i got to make up for my failure. Just put your sword back in its place. That's not how this works. But I, I failed and I, I feel so... Put your sword back in its place. That's not going to fix this. And actually, that is not the point here. Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Let me be clear. Do you not think I cannot call, do you think I cannot call on my Father and He will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions, thousands, 12,000 of angels. Yeah, they have a crowd, but I could have 12,000 of angels. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled? Hey, hey, Peter, I was awake the whole time. I know the backside of this mountain. Like the back of my hand. I could go on out the backside. I could have woke you once again and taken you with me, but I didn't. But then how would the scriptures be fulfilled? That say it must happen this way. In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day, I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you didn't arrest me. Didn't do it in the daytime. You're out here at nighttime. But, it's all right. But, I've already prayed about this. But, I've already talked about this with the Father when I advented, when I came into this world. And 
I ask, is there any other way? Because what looms, and what we would call Lent, what looms on the other side of the Kidron Valley, what looms, I'm up on this hill in Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives, but there's another hill over there. It's called Calvary. This has all taken place that the writings of the prophet might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples did what Jesus said they would. They deserted him and they fled. Yeah, I I said earlier, this is one of those sermons. and Actually, this is one of those series. But this is one of those sermons that make me wish that that we actually were in this series. And we're not going to not be in the Bible when we're done with this series on the Matthew. But man, there's so... So, so much amazing stuff here. But let me boil down to this in here because this story here is part of such a bigger story. This is just a micro story and the macro story that we can find from Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning of God breathing life into existence to this very moment now. And in this story In the year 2022, we are embedded fully into this story, the grander story from the beginning of the Bible to the very end of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, from that moment that we got our first existence to this very moment right now and beyond. It is it is not a story about Peter screwing up and then trying to make up for his screw up. It's not a story. It is not. And I'm so grateful for this. It's not a story about the Israelites screwing up and then having a prophet that comes and saying, Hey, you guys messed up. Yeah, we know. We're pretty clear about that. Now what? Now you better muster it up and make up for your mess up. It's not a story about that. It's not a story about, hey, there's some good and there's some bad and there's some ugly and there's mistakes and then there's uh, amazing success and then there's the beauty and the, but there's also the ugly and there's the misery. This is not a story about some kind of mandate that you need to be perfect or the alternative actually being that of shame. The mandate is not perfection and the good news is that the alternative for us, is not shame. This is a story where we see Peter, we see Peter in the midst of doing some things wrong and trying to make up for it. And Jesus saying, put your sword away. Quit trying to make up for something here. That's not what it's about. I see you. I know you. I could have escaped. I could have called down 12,000 legions of angels. But there's a grander, more beautiful plan that has to do with the redemptive, restorative relationship that I have with you. And this is all from the very beginning when God breathed life into existence and he watched a break between himself and humankind that again and again and again and again, he's calling just like he did Adam. Adam, where are you? I did wrong, God. I'm hiding. You don't have to hide. You don't have to hide. Come. Peter, what are you doing? Got my sword out. 
I messed up. Put your sword down. Put your sword down. That's not the way. It's a call to you and it's a call to me saying, I see you. I know you. I died for you. This is, this is the gospel. I died for you. I rose for you. I am the one who restores and redeems the unshakable, the unmovable kingdom of heaven that is here on earth. It's mine to carry out. And I happen to choose to use people just like you, Bob. Just like you, Todd. Just like you. Just like me. I use people like you. I mean, the Christmas story, it's one, isn't it? Who's the first people that hear the story? It's the shepherds. The lowest caste of society, the shepherds. Who's he choose to carry the, the son of God in her own womb? Mary. And what about Joseph from Nazareth? Jesus. Eventually they say of him, they say of this man, what, can any good come out of Nazareth? Yeah. Amazing good can come out of anywhere through anyone because God can do amazing stuff, not just through us, but certainly through us. But he does this amazing work in us. That is what I love about us. That we're the kind of church where we don't have to hide. I see you, you see me. We're the kind of church that when beauty rolls out, of course it does. We're the people through whom God's doing amazing stuff and we celebrate it. And when failures happen, we're able to look at each other and say, you don't have to hide. It's okay, put away your sword. You don't have to try to make up for that because that's not how it gets done. God already did this work and we actually have a chance together. Because of this micro story for sure, but the macro story of God's love, we actually have a chance together to just be with one another and to be that kind of church that together we can become not only safe with each other, but then because of that, more and more and more and more like Jesus. So I'll just say this today and we'll pick up with the rest of the story next week yeah i'm 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 already feeling the end of the gospel in matthew and going ah but something changed in us this year something happened in us that can only be explained that god did something because i've talked to you and i've heard it from you and i've Received notes from you and emails from you. And mostly, man, this really excites me. Because I've been talking to teenagers around here. Students around here that are talking about the messages. And sharing what God's been doing in this series that we've been in. As we've been studying the Gospel of Matthew. And, and as I think about that, there's nothing that excites me more. I was sitting around with a group of lead pastors from all of our harbor churches. And we were talking about the vision for where harbor churches is going over the next three to five years. And as we were talking about trying to raise up people that are discipling other people, because that's the call. We're about to hit it in the gospel. Matthew, go and make 
disciples. Don't just talk about it. Make followers of Jesus in this world. As we were talking about that, I had an image in my mind. Who's going to grab hold of this? Who's it going to be? It's going to grab hold of this and take this and run with it for God's glory in this world. And then I started thinking that I might have the wrong person in mind. No offense to those of us that are my age, younger than me, that are adults, that are married. No offense to all of us, but I thought maybe I got it wrong here. I got the wrong image I'm drumming up. Not saying we can't do it. I'm just saying that Jesus didn't choose us. He chose that next generation down. I, I, I will not say he's not choosing us because he's choosing all of us to do this in this world. We are to roll this out. But he chose a group of teenagers to change the world. And so I said to the group, I said, you know, if I could just say something a minute. I'm, I'm feeling something here and I wonder if you're doing what I was doing because in my mind I started dreaming up who's going to carry this unshakable, unchangeable, unstoppable kingdom movement in this world. Who's going to carry it? And I wonder who is in your mind. If it's not a teenager, if it's not a student, wow, we better put some in there. Because that's the group that God harnessed 2,000 years ago to shape this world. I went and found Ashley after that meeting. Ashley's our student director, and I said, I'm in. I am in on that. I love, love that we've been in the Gospel of Matthew, and I love more. That's a book. He was a man. It is the Word of God that has been shaping and molding us. But I feel like we're on the beginning of something new again as a church again that God wants to do again. May we, who get it right and sometimes get it wrong, may we, who just roll out beauty in this world and sometimes we grab hold of the wrong stuff, may we... Who are the, who are the vessels of great hope? And sometimes we squander it. May we be so used of God that it will be a better world for you and I, a better place for you and I, and then an increasing number of people because God chose to actually shape us and mold us and use us who are flawed to join him in that unshakable, unstoppable movement right here in Jenison, Hudsonville, Granville, and beyond for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, that's big. And it's sometimes, at least for me, it's sometimes it's, it's hard to grab hold of. When I think of your kingdom advancing, there is no stopping it. When I think of us participating in it, I think these are the best people I know. Of course. And then I think about our propensity to get it wrong. And I can start to wobble because my eyes are on the wrong thing. It's on us. May we have such a clear vision of you. May we have such a clear vision of the power of your Holy Spirit. 
May we be so crystal clear about these little micro stories where you just say, it's okay. I know you don't always get it right. Just put your sword away. You don't have to try to fix it yourself. I already fixed it. Just be available and I'll, I'll change the world through you. Isn't that what you said to Peter? When you said, Peter, do you love me? And this is after his failure. And he said, yep, I do. All right. Then engage in this mission. And may the church, may the world know because of it. And so we, again, remember again, you didn't run away. You went straight into Jerusalem, straight toward that cross for every single one of us. And may we then look to you and say, my life, it's yours. How you want to use it, it's yours. What you want to do with me, I'm yours. I am yours for your glory in this world. And we pray this in your name. Amen.